third guest? Fourth guest. No, third guest. <laughs> the <laughs> next guest. with us today. And she is the co-president of McMaster Diabetes Association. So I'm so happy that you're here with us today. And yeah, you can start off by just introducing yourself. Oh my God. The hardest question <laughs> ever. Introduce yourself. I feel like everyone's like, like the conventional. I'm uh, in my fourth year of the Bachelor of Health Sciences program at McMaster. Um, but obviously, I think we're all so much more than that. And I always joke with my friends, I'm like, I work full time and I've been doing this for over a decade. Uh, I do a job in the role of my pancreas mm. because I really think like being a type one diabetic is like, it's not just a full time job, it's like an overtime job. Like there's really no days off. So that's definitely a huge part of my life. It's the reason mm. why I'm here right now. Um, it's also the reason why I'm studying at McMaster, but I guess we'll get into that at some yeah. point. Um, I would probably start by saying I was born in India. Um, and then a couple months later, I moved to Kenya. <laughs> so I lived there for a couple of years when I was really young. And then we immigrated to Canada. And then I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Life changed. And I think just growing up, I was always very like drawn to the healthcare field, um, seeing how like insulin and technology has just like literally kept me alive. Like that's, again, the reason mm -hmm. why I'm sitting here. So I think I just have so much appreciation for health and wellness. And that's why I'm here. Um, in the BHSC program. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. I didn't know you moved to Kenya. Why'd you yeah. move there? <laughs> Mainly my dad's job. So he actually lived there before. And then the healthcare system in Kenya is really, um, it's not the highest quality. So basically my mom like flew back to India just to have me and then like back flew to back Kenya. to Kenya. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. And how old were you when you were found out about your diabetes? I was six years old. Six years mm -hmm. old. So you weren't, do you have like memories distinct? Not really, like maybe flashbacks. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously I think like the age of five to like even seven is very like, I don't know. It's like a hazy, hazy yeah. period of life. Yeah. Because yeah. usually like my next question would be, what was your experience of finding out and kind yeah. of like, a lot of people tell stories about like arriving to the hospital and like mm -hmm. kind of the emotions that were associated with that. Yeah. So do you remember anything at all from like any emotions you experienced? Yeah, this time? yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> um, I was actually really into sports growing up, so I remember that like I was in soccer. I think from a very young age, and I always had like these practices, and I started like making excuses to not go, and I was just like, oh, like I don't feel like it. I would start like lying down on the stairs, just being very like lazy which was unlike the type of child mm -hmm. that I was so my parents kind of knew something was wrong and then all the symptoms with like drinking more water yeah. and urinating more and all those like diabetic symptoms um but also just knowing that I have a history of diabetes in my family so my grandfather uh, was type 1 diabetic and there's also type 2 diabetics in my family so I think somewhere like my parents knew but mm -hmm. it's always like you don't want it to be true yeah um so then they took me to the doctor and they were like you need to go to the ER like you've got they did some kind of like tests and stuff. Um, and my blood sugar was like 23 or 24 or something, which is extremely high. Mm -hmm. um, so then I was hospitalized for, I think, three days until they could get my blood sugars like more stable. Um, I have this vague memory of like a clown coming to the hospital. <laughs> like what? these dolls that were like, they were like, diabe like diabetic dolls. And it was tr try and like make the children feel like oh, okay, okay that yeah. it's okay that you have this new like condition because mm -hmm. I think at the age of like six you really don't understand what's happening mm -hmm. you just see like your parents are crying <laughs> everyone's like freaking out doctors mm -hmm. and nurses are coming in and out and you really don't know what's about to happen yeah um 
but in a way that's also a blessing because I feel like growing up with it it just it was a normal part of my life like that was you very got, much my routine you, you learned how to deal with it immediately yeah it's like it's, yeah like I really don't know life without diabetes at this yeah. point that's interesting because yeah. I have a peanut allergy which is not comparable yeah. at all yeah. in any no things. no everything's but like, valid like just imagining like now it's just such an instinctual thing to ask if something has exactly in it without yeah. even thinking about it so mm-hmm. I can imagine it might be slightly easier to have like grown up and just like for sure you're just your instinct is just to like yeah. think about your diabetes all the time which yeah. can also be a burden I guess the flip yeah. side it's got its <laughs> highs course. and lows ha yeah. <laughs> highs and lows good one <laughs> um, so okay my next question was going to be around the healthcare system so okay. what was your do you think like the diligence that your diabetes was caught at and like the experiences you had with your healthcare providers at the hospital were those all good or was there some difficulties in that as well or? yeah um, I have to say, like, my support system is extremely strong, and, mm-hmm. like, my diabetes care team is also uh, phenomenal, and I've had, you know, there's, like, a pediatric kind of care team, and then you also transition to adult mm-hmm. uh, teams, so both of my teams have been fantastic, like, they're all excellent, um, but though, I think the major, like, burden, so to speak, comes on yourself and your family members, because you're yeah. the ones that are dealing with it on a day-to-day basis, um, you have these appointments every three months or six months, but it's really just a conversation that's like, hey, <laughs> how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> you doing good? Okay, <laughs> we'll see you next time, right? Because exactly. it is a chronic disease. It's lifelong. So there's only so much that they can do to kind of keep you on track, and the rest mm-hmm. is kind of on you to take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I would say I wish there was more emphasis on is your like emotional health because, yes, diabetes is a physical disease, and it's important to keep your A1C in range. It's important to kind of be healthy in that sense but there's a lot of burden on the mind right it's a lot of stress it's a lot of there's burnout in terms of like taking care of yourself you're I think we read the statistic where it was like diabetics make 180 decisions a day more than like the regular person and that's like crazy that's a lot of decisions that is a lot of to be decisions. making I right? know that. um like even right now if I glance down at my watch I'm looking at my level 8.7 stable I'm like processing that mm-hmm. information um constantly Wow. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's one of the things I like about this podcast is I always learn something new. Like, mm. even though I'm, I'm talking to a different person with diabetes, yeah. it's, like, it's always something new. So that's really interesting. Um, my next question was going to be about your values. And I think you almost went into that with the kind of emotional side, mm-hmm. um, the domain of the disease. Do you want to speak further about that and how that's impacted your, your journey yeah. through diabetes? Um, I think, yeah, because when we ever, we look at, like, health as... A very physical thing right you have a problem here's the solution you're diabetic take your insulin and like period mm-hmm. <laughs> but what happens when you know things don't go right because sometimes you can take the right amount of insulin you can count the right carbs and something goes wrong still and you really have to be resilient and I think Kyle did a really good job of speaking to that mm-hmm. in our last episode um, just pushing through and knowing that no matter what scenario you're in you can always adapt so that's definitely like a mindset that I think a lot of diabetics um, develop And I think just the value of community is also really important. Um, I've met so many people, like even through the Diabetes Association at McMaster and other organizations, just talking to other diabetics has really like uplifted me and kind of shown me different perspectives to Mm -hmm. the disease. Um, So just like holding close, like sticking together. I know it's very cheesy to say and like people probably listen to this like, okay, yeah, community. But if you think about it, like without community, like who are we? Right. I know the BHSC program also really like Mm -hmm. talks a lot about that. But um, I really think that without your support system, without these organizations that do all this advocacy work, without the people that you can talk to, um, to kind of make it through every single Mm -hmm. day, we really wouldn't be where we are. Yeah, for sure. 
I think um, you mentioned your family and how they dealt with the diagnosis a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think that has played an essential role in your support system? And how do you think they've kind of dealt with the disease? Do they like learn a lot about it afterwards mm-hmm. and yeah. help you through it? huge like my mom is literally like I would say like I say I'm the pancreas of my no she's like (laughs) she's behind the scenes like growing up even right now like she's always so okay the interesting thing is like on the Dexcom continuous glucose monitor app you can get your like levels sent to any like family member or any friend even Um, so she's always getting my blood sugar levels and she'll <laughs> kind of remind me, she'll text me like, hey, did you do what you need to do? Are you alive? Are you good? That's <laughs> like, cute though. Yeah. She just gets like... She's always following up yeah. and just kind of there for me to make sure. Because a lot, a lot of times it's like, yeah, diabetes is a huge priority, but it's mm-hmm. like if I'm writing a test, <laughs> my blood sugar is going low. I want to finish the test, but I also need to take care of myself. Exactly. And sometimes those priorities, like that line gets a little blurry mm-hmm. um, because you're obviously like trying to balance both priorities. And I think she was always there to kind Has of. Has that ground ever happened, me. like during exams? Oh, hundred percent. Actually, so like in school, yeah, McMaster. Um, not at McMaster. Mm-hmm. Basically, in grade, I think twelve, my calculus culminating. Um, I'm usually pretty good. Like I le- let my level go higher, so it's like I know I'm gonna make it through. Because obviously, when you're low, you get blurry vision. You're not able to process properly. It's kind of like being drunk, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> comparably. So I remember my blood sugar, like started to feel low and I didn't necessarily tell my teacher beforehand like people knew I was diabetic but there weren't any like formal accommodations Mm -hmm. so my blood sugar's tanking and I'm like I I can't even answer any questions I can't even see the paper anymore like I'm literally getting blurry vision um so I just tell the teacher I'm like I need to like drink juice I need to and I'm trying to explain to her and she's not understanding really what's happening she's like okay like do whatever you need to do but hand your paper in (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, like finish I'm it. Like, but like, I'm not done yet. <laughs> oh my god! And she's like, well, there's like what 20 minutes left, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, well, okay, I have to like treat my blood sugar first. So I drink my juice, yeah. check my blood sugar. It's very low. Um, and the thing about low blood sugars is they take it takes time to come back to the like mm-hmm. in range level. So I'm wasting all this time like trying to get better. Hand in the paper, do terrible on that test. And then I explain to her like afterwards my situation and it, like. Obviously, I should have dealt with that better in terms of, like, telling her beforehand mm-hmm. and having a plan in place because I never really expected it to happen. Um, so, obviously, moving forward, I had a better plan. And even at McMaster, there's a whole, like, accommodation service that you can reach out to. Um, yeah. For my MCAT, I got, like, a special room, and I was able to, like, stop the clock if I needed to to test my blood sugar. So, That's yeah. so nice. Yeah, I was thinking about the MCAT. That first came into oh, my yeah, head. Oh, yeah, seven hours? Like, <laughs> like, how did you... <laughs> like deal with the 90 minute like blocks I actually I did not use any like of the stop the clocks I wrote Mm -hmm. it like a regular applicant but it was very much like check my blood sugar and eat my snack within the five minutes (laughs) in between um and just like pushing through yeah well I think was your would your uh, calc teacher end up being lenient with that yeah so she dropped the test and she like moved it to my exam (laughs) that's better but it all worked out in the end yeah Yeah. okay that's good it's good to hear um, yeah, I think that's interesting, like, how you kind of have to... And then you were talking about your mom before. Mm-hmm. We went off tra- topic. Yeah. But like, yeah, I think, like, even with my mom, she's always checking, like, every single mm-hmm. thing that I'm doing. And it's just, like, it's so nice to have someone care about you that much. Yeah. Was there ever kind of, like, you wanted your own independence? Of like, course, I know when you're a teenager, you're like, 
uh, what do I have to keep <laughs> checking my blood sugar? My mom gets like, yeah, like she's always talking to me about this. Like, I just want to go off on my own. Right. Like, was there a feeling of that ever? So, okay, so for context, I'm Indian, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> <Me> <laughs> you start too. laughing because <laughs> South Asians <laughs> and boundaries is like yeah. a completely other uh, mm-hmm. topic. Because I tried to bring up this like idea of boundaries to my parents, and they're like, what do you mean boundaries? Like, unconditional love, no boundaries. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it's all about like finding the balance. Like, at the end of the day, they're doing it because they care mm-hmm. and they really want you to excel and be healthy and so I think reminding myself of that and saying hey like actually I need to do this myself yeah because a lot of times so when I have dinner with my family like my mom will literally be like oh yeah it's like 45 grams of food that I'm serving you mm-hmm. that she's because she's made the food so she knows what's in it um, but I had to kind of say okay let's try where I like come up with yeah. how many carbs I think is in this and then you can double check and so we have this mm-hmm. conversation at our dinner table where I'll say I think it's 30 grams she'll be like no I think it's 45 and we'll kind of reason it out mm-hmm. um, but I think it just comes with age like as you grow as you grow uh, older and as you maybe leave your house and kind of venture out into other uh, places you kind of get that independence yeah by force right because it's like by nature of it that's what yeah Um, it's important i was telling my cousin because he's um the one i interviewed on our first episode Mm -hmm. actually he's trying to decide if he should move to university away or stay at home and go to ontario tech which is like he can commute there and i was just like from my perspective i was like oh my gosh like i came to university and i grew so much like i think everyone should move away from home yeah but then i also wasn't thinking about like his level of responsibility he has over his diabetes and i don't know if he's there yet to the point where like I mm-hmm. guess you were when you were able to move out and kind of. Actually, I didn't move out. Oh, you didn't move out. <laughs> so okay, I've commuted okay. all four years uh, oh, to McMaster. You did. Okay, um, okay. But I still think like the experience of being on campus for like eight or nine yeah, hours is, is equivalent. Still, yeah. yeah. The one thing that I think I haven't really experienced is like having to sleep. Um, like okay, the biggest fear for a diabetic is mm-hmm. to go into like some kind of coma while yeah. you sleep, right? If your blood sugar tanks and you don't wake up. You know, we have all these alarms, but I swear I sleep through, like, all my alarms. Like, yeah. I'll sleep through my wake-up alarm, too. alarm, too. So it's kind of useless. Like, yeah. I just have to rely on my instinct to wake mm-hmm. up and, like, grab the juice that's next to my um, bed and just drink that. So yeah. I think my parents' fear is, like, okay, what happens if she's going low? She doesn't wake up. And at least if they have their, like, they're getting my levels, they're able oh, to wake yeah, me up yeah. in that sense. But I think it's, like, transferring that responsibility to someone else. So if you have a roommate, maybe that roommate can be helpful mm. to you. Or if you have a partner, your partner can be helpful to you. So yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. Support system, like the yeah. hugest. Yeah. Because I know my aunt, she's always like, well, she'll, she's really like a light sleeper now because any type of alarm that she yeah. can hear from like the second floor, because he sleeps on the second floor. You know, it's about, yeah, yeah. And like, she's just like always awake. I feel like she doesn't sleep. There, okay. Not, not to plug this company. There's this yeah. new, like, I forget what it's called, like Gluco. We'll put it in the description maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically this light bulb that changes color based on your blood sugar level. And apparently a lot of parents and like partners find this really interesting because you can just like open your eyes, see what the level is and go back to sleep rather than having oh. to like reach for your phone or like ask them that's what their level is. That's interesting actually. There's so, like there's, the technology out there is crazy. There's so that's many really new like cool. innovations. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that would be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, next thing. What would you tell your younger self? This is, like, common interview question, yeah. I feel like. But, like, anyone or, like, and someone who's just been diagnosed with diabetes, any, like, kind of lessons that you've, or any mistakes you've even made that you'd like to, like, pass mm. on and talk about? Um, I would say you're not alone because I feel like a lot of diabetics, um, like, if you're, if you're at, like, high school, I feel like I was the only 
diabetic there. At university, I was able to meet a couple more through this association. I think we have, like, 18 or 19, like, yeah. ambassadors, which is super cool. Um, but we also didn't have that up until this year. So mm-hmm. it's, like, I feel like the diabetics are all really, like, dispersed in the general population. And so yeah. it feels very lonely because you feel like no one understands and you're going through this alone. Um, but I think using social media to connect or these organizations and finding people who understand, again, that community aspect yeah. is so important. So you're never alone. You're never, um, like without any support it's it's really on you to seek it though right Mm -hmm. because it's not just going to come to you so you have to kind of put yourself out there you have to ask for help when you need it and it's okay to ask for help Mm -hmm. um so I think that's one piece of advice I would give myself because I feel like I was always trying to just do it myself and I had to kind of remind myself that no I actually have a lot of people that care about me and that would support me in that sense Mm -hmm. so it's really hard asking for help I think because you you don't want to seem like you're I feel like it's also a person of color thing as well. It might be, like, an intersectional thing because, Mm -hmm. like, you're kind of assumed to take on more responsibility. And, like, I think there's, like, a term called minority tax, which Mm -hmm. is also really, like... I feel like it can it can intersect with diabetes in a big way. For sure, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's really important. Um, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of remember. Me every day. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um... Oh, I was going to ask about if you had any sort of breaking points. Like, this is, like, any sort of times where you were, like, so fed up Mm. and you were just, like... Because I know my cousin talked about it and it really opened my eyes. He was talking about how it was, like, in the first few years of his diagnosis, um, he started Mm. going to therapy after this, but he was at a point where he was just so, I guess, like, exhausted with, like, Mm -hmm. having to check his blood sugar all the time. Yeah. Um, And kind of the motivation. He was losing motivation. Right. In essence, yeah. I think... I've been pretty blessed. I haven't really reached a breaking point yet. <laughs> um, it's been, yeah, we'll knock on the wood. Um, I think part of that reason is because I was so young, I just kind of accepted, like, this is how it is. Yeah, and this is how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I can't really, like, it's not in my control. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like we've been hearing there's going to be a cure for, like, the past 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> there's no cure yet. And it's kind of just accepting that we have all this phenomenal technology that makes life so much easier. And I think using it to its best uh, advantage is like our best bet right now. So I've Mm -hmm. always been hopeful in that sense. Um, Just like the realization that I went from pricking my finger like multiple times a day to now I just like look at my phone and I know my blood sugar level. And there's like these pumps that like loop your insulin. So they're like so sensitive that they can just continuously send insulin as needed. You don't even have to calculate anything. Mm -hmm. So I think just keeping those innovations in mind, I've always kind of just been, yeah, hopeful. And of course, my support system has also just had my back for whenever I'm tired, like they're they're on it. Yeah, that's a common theme. I feel like everyone I've interviewed has such had such like had the privilege of having Mm -hmm. such a good support system of people, which is really good. Um, Are there any myths about diabetes that you want to do? There's a million. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Biggest one is about sugar, right? Like, I feel like everyone's like, oh, you shouldn't eat sugar um, or you did this to yourself because you ate too much sugar. and my mom always jokes she's like you eat more sugar than like the average person because I love I'm a very like food exploratory like person I love eating yeah and I think the biggest thing is like sometimes when I'm out with other people who don't necessarily know what diabetes is they kind of look at me funny they're like oh she's eating sugar she's eating this and she shouldn't be so I think um commenting on someone's like like what they're eating or what they're doing is not necessarily constructive like I think it's good to be curious and I think it's good to ask questions about it I love it when people are like hey like is that okay for you are you like what's what's the deal with that in diabetes yeah and I think just being curious is better rather than confrontational um yeah Yeah, that's super important 
I think, like, in general, commenting about people's eating behaviors can be really dangerous, mm-hmm. especially, like, I had this conversation with um, one of my roommates about, like, how, um, I don't know if you've watched the documentary Bones, this is so off topic, but it's, like, <laughs> it's to the bone, I think, with, like, Lily Collins, okay. and she's, she had to lose a bunch of weight for, like, her to play an anorexic person in this, like, TV show, mm-hmm. um, but, like, people were, when she was losing the weight in real life, her neighbor said to her, like, oh my gosh, you're looking so great. And it's just like it's right. it's like that stuff that can be really triggering for people. And like yeah. you don't realize it because you're you're like saying it from a place that you think, or like mm-hmm. maybe she's like projecting some of her own. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah. So I think it's like even if you mean it from a good place of like like a good-hearted place, it can be really dangerous because you don't know who is like mm-hmm. receiving that comment, right? right? Yeah, and like what state that they're in. Exactly. So I think that goes along with diabetes as well. Yeah, and also sure. I think. There's this notion that, like, diabetes is taboo because that's the flip side, right? Like, Mm -hmm. where people just kind of ignore it or they're, like, they don't ask about it necessarily and they're kind of, like, just pushing it to the side. Like, oh, it's just there. Diabetes is a huge part of any diabetic's life. Like, like I said, the 180 decisions, that's all we're thinking about, like, every single moment. So I think it's really nice to be asked, like, how's your blood sugar? Or, Mm -hmm. like, how's your management going? Like, general questions like that, again, being curious is really important. Um, don't feel like you don't like you shouldn't comment on anything yeah either. I think that's a huge thing I think mm. like even when I meet people with different diseases that I know yeah. nothing about I'm like scared to even You're ask a question because yeah, I'm like yeah. what if I ask them that's insulting mm-hmm. or like sometimes it's not from like I don't care it's more like if I say something that is like potentially insulting I'm just gonna yeah. avoid the topic altogether right. and yeah. I think that's bad because like it's it obviously becomes a taboo topic exactly like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah I think that's important just I'll, I'll make sure to just keep asking questions yeah like, that's what I say like ask questions rather than comment yeah I think is the biggest thing yeah, yeah. it's important any other myths can think of right <laughs> now no pressure um like I said, there's a million, but none of them are coming to me at this moment That's in time. Okay. I think we've talked a lot about a lot of myths on the other episodes, so Fair. people have enough uh, myths to stop. Keep uh, stop watching our Monday Myths uh, initiative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> little plug. <laughs> no shame plug. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, do you think people with diabetes... I mean, this is kind of like... It goes along with like the special accommodations thing, but do you think people should get those special accommodations and like what level of special accommodation do you think in mm-hmm. schools elementary schools or in university or even in like the work environment should, should do you think diabetics should be getting yeah i think so it's interesting you term it special accommodation i think it should just be accommodation yeah, right yeah. it's not really something special because it's something the person needs right yeah. um we talk a lot about like the disabled world and the abled world mm-hmm. and it's about bringing them not to equality, but to be able to, like, support the disabled person to the extent that they need. Mm-hmm. And so I think the accommodation is, like, necessary yeah. in that sense. Um, there's always this, like, fear of, like, misusing the accommodation um, where, like, people think that, oh, maybe if this person's not actually low, they're going to still, like, stop the clock yeah. and use extra time and do better. And yeah. I think it's just you have to come to, a, like, a point where you trust that the person who's diabetic really does need that accommodation mm-hmm. in that sense and there are a lot of things in place to make sure that they're not misused like a lot of the times you have to record what blood sugar you were at or you would if you're drinking juice you're not going to drink on like a higher blood sugar level yeah, so it's exactly. not that um, easy to kind of con your way out of a, an accommodation um, but I think that the whole thing with the exams being able to stop time and to treat is important because if you let the time run like I said it takes a lot of time to sometimes bring that level back up or mm-hmm. bring it back down um, so I think that is one accommodation that should be like widely advertised because I think like I said there's very few diabetics sometimes at one elementary school or one high school and so they're kind of just like okay <laughs> this person's diabetic that's yeah. it and I feel like if there were multiple people who are diabetic the accommodation would be more 
um, prevalent, but Mm -hmm. it's really, you have to advocate for yourself and you have to kind of set that stage yourself and say, I need this rather than the school saying, do you need this? Yeah. Um, I think like identifying that it's a need, it's not like something mm -hmm. on top. That's really important, right? Yeah. It's not a luxury. It's like, it's it's literally a necessity. You're meeting like the basic Necess- the basic yeah. needs that everyone yeah. else has you're just like below it and exactly. like, you're bringing people to the same level yep. I think that's super important I didn't even think about that because yeah. I know at the master they call them like SAS mm-hmm. special yep. accommodation services right. maybe there should be a change in terminology because <laughs> it does perpetuate kind of this idea that it's like yeah. an added layer of support right. and I do think a lot of people may abuse um, the accommodation services for maybe not for diabetes but for other conditions and that yeah. might that may, like, bring over those assumptions and those mm-hmm. biases towards diabetes as well. Yeah. So I think, um, like, advocating for that is really important. Mm-hmm. It's also a very long process. Like, you need a doctor's, like, mm, no yeah. letter or something and then, like, other documentation. So it's not just, like, you can pretend to be yeah, tired exactly. <laughs> get your accommodation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very important. Um, and do you think that your diabetes has prevented you from doing anything that you've wanted to do? I think the glorified vision of diabetes is nothing can stop you, right? Like, yeah. 2-1-D doesn't define you. Um, yes, it does. Like, for example, this morning, my blood sugar was high. I wanted to eat lunch. I was hungry for, like, five hours. And I didn't eat because, obviously, it's a bad idea to eat on an already high blood sugar level. Yeah. So I didn't get to eat lunch. Like, that's one thing that I couldn't do mm-hmm. today. And there's little things like that that kind of come into play. Um, back when I used to play sports, a lot of the times my blood sugar was not high enough it was on the lower side and I had to like sub out of that quarter and not play so there's a lot of little things that I think can happen along the way but mm-hmm. there's also ways to like equally propel yourself and do the things that you want to do um yeah I can't sure. say there's something that you can't like any diabetic can't do like I think even like becoming an astronaut I know there were some concerns about like diabetes in space and how you can like administer insulin and take care of your blood sugars mm-hmm. in that environment but anything's possible yeah with the technology I feel like there's probably definitely advancements for that Um, and then on the flip side do you think diabetes has like pointed you in any specific direction in terms of interest or I know you said like it brought you closer to seeing the healthcare field in a new light Um, is there anything maybe you're pursuing long term with that yeah no it's shaped (laughs) my life uh, goals to be honest because I think the idea is that I've had this lived experience I've gone through this emotional and physical kind of battle and Mm -hmm. I think it's important to advocate for that and I have that kind of perspective that I want to share with others so I think one of my like or my overall kind of mission and it feels scary to say this officially on a podcast but it really is to I think practice medicine uh, advocate in medicine educate in medicine and research in medicine so those four kind of pillars because I think it's important to push the research that's happening in these fields to continue learning about whatever conditions there are. Mm-hmm. Important to advocate, and I think all diabetics grow up being their own advocate, but to advocate for other people as well. Um, and then also to be able to practice, to change how sometimes when you come into a clinic, you want to be asked, like, how are you feeling? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not just what's your A1C. It's mm-hmm. also, like, how's life? Like, are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like a holistic picture. So I think that's kind of shaped my um, kind of direction and what I want to do. That's really cool. I um, volunteer at a cardiology clinic, Mm -hmm. and we don't see type 1 diabetics, but we do see some type 2 diabetes patients and um, different patients with, like, heart disease and things like that. And I think, like, one of the things that Dr. Kernew does really well is, Mm -hmm. like, he does provide that holistic picture. And, like, we ask Mm -hmm. about, like, we have a set list of questions asking about, like, how's your, like, how are you feeling in general? Mm -hmm. And then, like, they go, after that initial question, they go into specifics about, like, are you having chest pains? Are you having this? But, like, the initial, like the rapport building thing is such a big part Mm -hmm. of it and I think um 
he also does a really good job. You were talking about research-based medicine. Mm-hmm. does a good job of, like, keeping up to date. Like, even though he's, right. like, of an older generation, which I feel like they yeah. can, like, there's an assumption that older people can be stuck in their ways right. and kind of practice the same medicine they've been doing for years. But I think he does a really great job of, like, keeping on track of webinars and mm-hmm. any new research that's come out, especially with diabetes technology. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a really cool goals. Thanks. I'm excited for you. <laughs> um, what has been the most difficult part in having diabetes? We might mm. have talked about this already, but has there been any, like, challenge that in particular has stuck out to you? Um, not particularly, but I would say, like, the complexity of diabetes, like, just mm-hmm. leaves me kind of like, what? <laughs> what? Why? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the times, like, like I mentioned, you might have a blood sugar level. You treat it exactly how you're taught to treat it. And it, it just doesn't go right. Like yeah. something goes wrong and you have no idea what because there's a million factors that affect your health, right? It could be the stress. It could be like if you didn't sleep enough or you're not drinking enough water and that could influence your blood sugar level. Like literally stress is such an interesting thing because I always find before my tests, my blood sugars are high because like cortisol is like plumping through my yeah, blood, right? Sure. Um, so I think the complexity and just kind of pushing through, that, okay, I'm not always going to know why it happened. I just have to react and continue. Um, I practice a lot of like emotional detachment because my mom is very like, oh my god you're three. Oh my god you're just like freaking out and i'm like yeah. well it's gonna happen like a million times in my life and i can't exactly. kind of emotionally react each time i have to be very like logical and just mm-hmm. say this is the level treat it continue mm-hmm. um, regardless of if it goes to plan or not yeah. that's really interesting do you think your emotions have ever like helped you in a certain way are they always like do you think it's always better to control your emotions in those situations yeah. I think in those situations, it's always a balance, but I think in those situations, it is important to be logical because if you're like emotional, let's say I'm like, (laughs) whenever I'm low, I get like these hunger cravings. Mm -hmm. So if I'm really like, just like emotionally kind of triggered or something at that Mm -hmm. low level, I'm going to over treat it. Or if I'm high, I'm going to like rage bolus. That's literally a term, rage bolus, where you like (laughs) give yourself too much insulin because you're like, why am I high? Oh my gosh. Um, So it is really important to control. Yeah, that's what I was also thinking. I was like, if you were, you know how you mentioned that you were like hungry for... Yeah, like for four lunch. hours, yeah. Like, I was like, why can't, why don't you just, like, put more insulin? Yeah, like, but it, it takes just... time, right? Because oh, it takes, like, okay, at okay. least, I would say, like, the absorption is different for everybody, but sometimes it takes two hours, four hours to see that effect. Oh, okay, okay. So sometimes, like, I'll see the level going up. It'll be, like, eight, which is, like, a perfectly normal level. And I'll be like, okay, the arrow is going up, so I'm just going to give myself extra insulin because I want to be able to eat soon. And that's a bit, like kind of apprehensive because you technically you should wait until the level mm-hmm. stable and does that have like long-term destructive effects for sure right yeah. like with mm-hmm. the high blood sugars low blood sugars uh, a lot of like cardiomyopathy yeah. um, nephropathy a lot of the kind of longer term effects are very real and that's mm-hmm. why it's important to keep it in range but then recognizing that you all also can't just be perfect right exactly like it's yeah. going to go high and it's human. going to go low so no i admire like all diabetics so much for like having to make those decisions every single day i feel like that's it's something that I would get used to over time, yeah. but, like, I feel like initially learning how to do that would be a super huge hurdle. Yeah. It might mm-hmm. get even harder, like, the more you age and, like, having to learn new things at a later age is usually yeah. harder. So I think, yeah, it's really, <laughs> I admire you so much for that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, are there any other last things that you feel like have been missed or anything you want to talk about in particular? Um... I think you did an awesome job. All those questions really covered a lot of different aspects. I mean, Summer's been an awesome podcast host, guys. Leave her a good (laughs) review. Come on. Let's get to the top of the podcast. Yeah. We're almost there. I think it's so important to share stories. So I think this platform is just, it's really doing something that I think is going to take people places because sharing those stories and Mm. learning from them. I love listening to other people as well on this podcast. Um, It's so, so important. 
Yeah, share with all your friends. <laughs> Let's get our podcast number one on Apple Music and Spotify. Yes. <laughs> okay, so thank you so much then for being on the podcast. And if anyone has anyone that has knows someone with diabetes or if you have diabetes and you want to come on the podcast to talk, then send me a message. Yes. I'm always looking for new guests. So thank you, Samaria. Thank Thanks you. everyone who's listening. Thank you.